thresholds. The definition of a threshold is the level at which one starts to feel or react to something. And so in the context of all the things that are happening nationally and internationally today, have our thresholds for human suffering, discrimination, bad politics, cruelty and violence increased? I believe that things can't remain as they are, unaddressed and avoided. I fear that only more of the same will drive us to feel more, react more, and channel this emotion into action, and only through this process that things will change for the better. This week, more evidence has been discovered about Jamal Khashoggi's disappearance. Jamal Khashoggi is a Saudi Arabian journalist, author, and the former general manager and editor-in-chief of Al Arab News Channel. He was also the editor of the Saudi Arabian newspaper Al Watan. A Saudi citizen, he had been living in self-imposed exile in the United States since last year. He has been very critical of Saudi Arabia's Crown Prince, Mohammed bin Salman, and the country's King, Salman of Saudi Arabia, also of the Saudi government, and has been writing a column for the Washington Post's Global Opinion section since last year. He lamented that Saudi Arabia's repression was becoming unbearable to the point of his decision to leave the country and live in exile in Washington wrote Karen Atiyah, Mr Khashoggi's editor, on Wednesday. Mr Khashoggi has been missing since 2nd of October, when he was last seen entering the Saudi Arabian consulate in Istanbul, Turkey, via its main entrance. According to the New York Times, he had visited the Saudi consulate in Istanbul on Friday 28th of September to collect a document that would allow him to marry his Turkish fiancée, but was told he would have to return. He left Istanbul that afternoon and flew to London for a conference. At some point after the that visit, most slightly over the weekend, Mr Khashoggi called the consulate saying he could return to pick up the document the next Tuesday. Someone from the consulate later called him back and asked him to come in at 1.30pm, his fiancée, Hatice Kengis, said. Unbeknown to him, in the early hours of Tuesday, at 3.13am, a private charter plane carrying nine Saudi officials and intelligence officers, some with diplomatic passports, arrived at Ataturk Airport in Istanbul from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia according to the Turkish news outlet Sabah, and government officials who spoke with the New York Times. The plane was a Gulfstream jet owned by Sky Prime Aviation Services, a charter company based in Riyadh that has long worked with the Saudi government. The Saudi officials checked into two hotels near the Saudi consulate in Istanbul's financial district, booking rooms for three nights. They later retrieved their belongings and departed the same day. The Turkish news organisation Sabah, published images of 15 men that Turkish officials have identified as Saudi operatives who flew to Istanbul. Mr Khashoggi went to his apartment appointment, leaving his fiancée by the embassy gates to wait for him with two of his mobile phones, under strict instruction that after four hours, if he didn't show, she should call for help. At 1.14pm, Mr Khashoggi entered the consulate. It's believed that he was killed minutes after he arrived, and according to press reports, Mr Khashoggi was wearing an Apple Watch synced to his mobile phone, and it recorded what transpired as he entered the consulate. Turkish officials said that these audio recordings prove he was beaten, drugged, killed, and then dismembered by a Saudi hit squad brought into Turkey specifically for this purpose. The Wall Street Journal, citing Turkish officials who had heard the recording, said Mr Khashoggi was allegedly killed and dismembered in the office of the Consul General, Mohammed al-Atabi, who was in, in the room at the time. A voice on the, on the recording could be heard inviting him to leave, the report said. Salah Mohammed al-Tubagi, a Saudi military forensics official, is reportedly heard putting on headphones to listen to music as he, as he begins to dismember the body and encourages other people in the room to do the same. 
According to M Middle East Eye, Khashoggi was dragged from the office to Atabi's study next door, where Tubagi began cutting up his body on a table while he was still alive. Airport and CCTV footage outside the consulate details the comings and goings of various people and vehicles at crucial times. From this footage, several of Bim Salman's security detail have been identified in press reports as members of the hit squad alleged to have murdered Mr. Khashoggi in the consulate. Around 4pm, six vehicles left the consulate carrying Sally officials and intelligence officers. Two other vehicles drove to the Sally consul's residence on Mestic Street, which is 200 yards from the consulate. Investigators suspect Mr. Khashoggi was in one of these vehicles. The vehicle stayed there for hours. Interestingly, Turkish staff members of the residence were unexpectedly told not to report for work that day. Police, diplomatic and intelligence sources have claimed that the 60-year-old was murdered for his opposition to the Saudi regime. The Saudi Arabian government claims that Khashoggi left the consulate alive through a rear entrance. The Turkish police say that no CCTV recorded him exiting the consulate. Mr. Hayat at the Washington Post, in his statement, called Mr. Khashoggi a committed, courageous journalist. He writes our sense of love for his country and deep faith in human dignity and freedom, Hayat said. We have been enormously proud to publish his writing. The Turkish authorities are insistent they will find out the truth. However, the US Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, together with Donald Trump, haven't given the impression that they are taking Mr. Khashoggi's disappearance seriously. In the face of mounting allegations that Riyadh was involved in Khashoggi's killing, Donald Trump defended the Saudis on Tuesday. In an interview with Associated Press, the US President said that Riyadh had again denied it and anything to do with the journalist's disappearance and remained innocent until proven guilty. Pompeo attracted fierce criticism for his seemingly jovial meeting with the Saudi Crown Prince, Mohammed bin Salman, and made it clear that the Trump administration would take commercial ties and Saudi cooperation in the attempted isolation of Iran into consideration when forming a response to Khashoggi's disappearance and reported murder. The G7 foreign ministers said in a statement, that, in a statement today that they remain very troubled by Khashoggi's disappearance. We are G7 foreign ministers of Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the United Kingdom, the United States of America, and the High Representative of the European Union, affirm our commitment to defending freedom of expression and protection of a free press, they said. Those bearing responsibility for his disappearance must be held to account. We encourage Turkish-Saudi collaboration, collaboration and look forward to the, to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia conducting a thorough, a thorough, credible, transparent and prompt investigation as announced. The significant issues here here are that this awful atrocity happened against a journalist in Turkey, in a consulate, and overwhelmingly how the US has reacted, reacted to it. We value freedom of expression and the free press, but does Mr. Khashoggi's killing now make journalists wary of what they, could, or the, or what they can write and say in democratic countries for fears or reprisals? What can we do to protect journalists who speak out, and how can we prevent future murders from taking place? Western civilization prides itself in its values, its humanity and moral framework. Part of our social makeup is to provide a voice for those that, that have none, whether they have been murdered, discriminated against, or in physical need. The famous quotation from Mahatma Gandhi is, The measure of a civilization is how it treats its weakest members. The question, I believe, is not whether we have the frameworks in place to achieve this, but whether we truly investigate if what we're doing is sufficient, appropriate, and working, and if it isn't, if we are prepared to make the necessary changes. It's realistic to believe that there is always suffering and hardship somewhere in the world, but if we have the resources and initiative to help our fellow man, we should. By not doing so, we are in fact making the point 
making a statement. I've always been told that I have a strong sense of empathy, and in my sixth form, studying history, ethics and, philosoph ethics and philosophy, health and social care, business studies and sports science, I think I gained a true understanding of di different views, and more importantly, context. I've been brought up to never walk past a homeless person or beggar asking for money on the street. Always give something, you never know what they've been through, it takes a lot to ask, can you can spare them something. This ethos of helping the less fortunate and disadvantaged, as well as preventing potential hardship, is something that we should take very seriously. It can't be right that we live in a world where we do little to help the 5 million starving children in war-torn Yemen, as reported by Save the Children, where an entire generation may face death and starvation on, on, on an unprecedented scale. Hal von Schmidt, CEO of Save the Children International, said, this war risks killing an entire generation of Yemen's children who face multiple threats, from bombs to hunger, to prevent to preventable diseases like cholera. In one hospital I visited in North Yemen, the babies were too weak to cry, their boys exhausted by hunger. Surely this is something we should be focusing our attention on. Close to home, we have the disaster of universal credit, and the prospect that this Christmas will be yet another food bank Christmas for many. Universal credit is a, is a benefit for working-age people replacing six benefits and merging them into one payment to be fully rolled out by March 2023. It has proved controversial almost from the beginning, with reports of IT issues, massive overspends and administrative problems. Its design flaws and administrative glitches have put poor claimants, especially at, at a heightened risk of hunger, debt and rent arrears, ill health and homelessness. Many are dependent on food banks to survive. Today the government defeated a labour attempt in the Commons to force the release of its analysis of the impact of universal credits. The humble address, mo address motion by Labour, which sought access to briefings or an analysis showing the effect on claimants' incomes and debt levels, was defeated by 299 votes to 279, after four hours of debate. A million homeowners will be affected by universal credit. About 600,000 single parents and 750,000 household disability benefits. Two in five households will lose an average of £52 a week in payments on universal credits. Food bank use has increased by 52% in areas where universal credit has already been rolled out, according to the Trussell Trust, and both Gordon Brown and John Major have warned this government that universal credit would be their poll tax moment. A policy so unpopular in the late 1980s that the public turned against the Tory government, forcing a U-turn. But apparently, despite all this, it will go ahead. And with government agency efficiency in mind, it's reported today that tens of thousands of sick and disabled people have missed out on large sums of government money that they were legally entitled to due to shoddy administration and investigation by the National Audit Office reveals. The Department for Work and Pensions has underpaid an estimated 70,000 people who transferred to Employment and Support Allowance ESA, from other benefits over the past seven years. The average underpayment for each claimant is estimated to be around £5,000, but some people will be owed significantly more, with approximately 20000 having been underpaid, around 11500 11, and a small number owed as much as 20000 The government has now committed to correcting its error and paying arrears by April 2019. Mark Atkinson, Chief Executive at Disability Charity Scope, said the report was a searing indictment of a system he accused of shortchanging disabled people. On top of poor administration, the fitness for work test itself isn't fit for purpose. Appeals, except, appeals against poor decisions have a staggering 69% success rate. It is vital disabled people get the financial support they need to live independently. 
A complete overhaul of the fitness for work test is long overdue, he said. Alison Taylor, director of operations at the National Poverty Charity, turned to us, said, It is disappointing to see so many sick or disabled people fall through the crack and fail to get the support they have been entitled to. It is important that anyone that, that may have missed out on their full ESA entitlement is paid back promptly and, effic and efficiently by DWP. In an environment of very little happening politically, possibly much more would have been made at these individual news items. However, in our current political chaos, most single-column centimetres recently have been used for the Brexit banner headlines. Has this impacted public awareness of non-Brexit-related issues and distracted our governments? Has the enormity of Brexit and its implications desensitised us as a, nation, as a nation? Have we become overwhelmed by feeling out of control about our futures? Media, in all its formats, is the voice of our society and reflects our beliefs, values, systems and how our society works. It is said that the backbone of any democracy is an independent, professional and responsible media whose role is to inform, criticise and stimulate debate. This means that the media has a responsibility to, the, to be credible, avoiding exaggeration or scaremongering just to get more readership and responsible in telling the truth, abiding by the law and being honest in the way information is gathered. The issue is which stories are chosen to be featured in our media, what story gets the spotlight first. Because by definition, that process preselects and influences view and views and perceptions. It determines to be it determines to a greater or lesser extent our individual and collective thresholds.